Okay, this is the picture. Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. And you think, well, how is God good? He says, I've taken your sin and your punishment and I offer you everlasting life in exchange. Simply by faith. That is a good God. That is a good God. Jesus says, I'm the good shepherd because I will lay down my life for my sheep. No one took it from him. No one stole it from him. He offered it freely for us. Welcome to Refuge Podcast, a weekly Bible study for young adults at Calvary Chapel, San Juan Capistrano. John chapter 10, if you're not there already, we're going to pick up our study in the Gospel of John which we started in January. (laughs) And we will finish at some point in the future. All right, we're gonna pick up in verse 10. It says, the thief does not come except to steal and to kill and to destroy. And I have come that you you may have life and that you may have it more abundantly. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your word tonight, and God, as we study just um, this wonderful passage, and Lord, how you paint this wonderful picture for us of you being our shepherd, Lord, we pray that you would speak to us in the power of the Holy Spirit, God, that we would yield to you and your leadership in our life, God, that you would reveal yourself more to us, that we might know you in a deeper and more personal way, and so, Lord, we, we thank you that you love to dwell among your people. God, that you're here with us tonight. And so, God, we pray that whatever is is being taught and what is coming from your word would be pleasing to you, would be honoring to you, Lord. And um, we just love you. We thank you, God, that you are so good and merciful to us. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, well, John chapter 10, we're we're continuing this, um, this analogy that Jesus is using. And he used something very simple that this culture would have known, and that is, the um, analogy of a shepherd and sheep. Now, the Bible likens us to sheep um, throughout. Uh, Isaiah says that we all, all like sheep, have gone astray. And that's for good reason. It's not um, because we're super cute and fluffy, and um, some of us are fluffier than others. But um, it's not just that. It's because of the, the tendencies that sheep have. Sheep are incredibly stubborn. Um, they will continue to push and go places that they are not supposed to go. They are easily rebellious. They're easily skittish and fearful. And also, they're not the um, wisest of the animal kingdom. And they're defenseless creatures. Uh, they have hooves. They don't have claws. They don't have teeth. But they have um, really fluffy wool. And that's about it. They're pretty defenseless creatures. Um, and the Bible uses this analogy not to insult us, but to help us to understand God's relationship with us and to us. And so Jesus is now speaking with these religious leaders. Remember, there's been this confusion or, or division, rather, about who he is. He just healed the, the blind man at the pool of Siloam. Um, and in that, the, the Pharisees come and they ask him, who are you or who healed you? And he says, I don't know, one thing I know, I was blind and now I see, I don't know anything else about this guy. Jesus then comes to this man later and reveals himself as the Messiah, that he is the son of of God. 
And this man believes. And so there's this discourse that continues with these people who are divided over whether or not Jesus is the Messiah or he's demon-possessed. It's pretty pretty divided room. Uh, either you're for him or against him. Like he's the devil or he's the Messiah at this point in the conversation. Now, we looked at last week as Jesus says, I am the door, uh, one of his I am statements, and looking at what that meant uh, as far as him being, um, there's this sheepfold or, or where all these herds would be, and he is the sheep or, or the door to that, that sheepfold. And he opens unto whoever and calls and, and calls them out uh, of the sheepfold. Now, the sheepfold, as we discussed, is what I believe is a, sim, a symbol of Judaism. That it's not completely full. It's like a, a sea, if you would, uh, on the ground. And what Christ does as the door is he has one foot on one side and his back to the other side, touching both sides, and is the completion and the fulfillment of Scripture. That he completes the law and the prophets. That Jesus is the fulfillment of those things that we longed for and looked for. And he is the access point to God. And what Judaism couldn't do in its, it's just keeping the law and all of that, and the law did what God designed it to do, is it, it brought forth men's sinfulness and understanding that I need a savior. I could not keep the law. But the prophets also pointed to a Messiah who was to come. Jesus is that and, and bridges the gap and touches both sides, completing the sheepfold and then opening the door and saying, come, whoever will come to me, let him come, whoever is my sheep. And he would call them by name and they follow him out. So that's this picture, right? It's Jesus is the door, the access point unto the Father. Through him, there is no other way of salvation. We can't get to God any other way. But we continue um, in this discourse, and he begins to say, the thief does not come except to steal and to kill and to destroy. Now, he identifies someone else that is after the sheep, that there's an enemy towards the sheep, and that is someone who is a thief, who comes to steal from the herd. Now, if we're looking at the immediate context, this is not talking necessarily exceptionally about the devil, but those who are also false teachers who imitate, Jesus said, their father who is the devil. So the ultimate thief throughout scripture is Satan. And the point of all of it is that there is a real devil. I don't know if you know this. There is a real devil and he really hates you. It, it is a reality as much as God exists, the devil exists. There, there is a, a realness to this. And we have to understand that there is a thief out there who longs to rob from you and to steal from you and to destroy you and kill you. He is the enemy. He is the devil. He is Beelzebub. He is Satan. He is, you know, he's got names there's other names, not as many as God, but he's got other names, right? Lucifer. How many of you know a Lucifer? Like a little kid named Lucifer. We don't really name kids that anymore, right? Because of who, who it is. Like, come here, Lucy. Like, what's her? What? Oh, Lucy, that's so cute. No, Lucifer, that's their clear full name. We don't hear that anymore. I thought Delilah was gone, and that's coming back, right? Because of Delilah in the Bible, she messed with Samson. Anyway, there's a girl on my son's soccer team. 
sister of a... Anyway, moving on. Her name is Delilah. I thought that name was gone and dead, but it's not. It's resurrected. It's alive, as well as Apple and a lot of other weird kid names. Just as you get married, and let me just pass some wisdom on to you. As you get married, that remember, your children will someday become adults. And it's really hard to be an adult with a name like Spider. <laughs> or Watermelon. Or some other weird thing. Like, this is my son, Dream. You know, it's cool now, but someday Dream's going to have to get a job. And he's applying. I'm like, yeah, you Dream, you get the job, bro. No, not, we're not giving a job to anyone named Sandrine or, or you know, Darwin or some kind of, like, hello, those are weird names. So, you know, be creative, but also remember that your children will someday be grown-ups. Moving on. The thief does not come except to steal and to kill and to destroy. What Jesus reveals to us is the goal and the mission of the devil. And that is those three things. That is what he is after. Now, we don't have to be fearful of this. It's not like we're like, oh my gosh, this is so terrifying. You don't have to be afraid of the devil. You have power over the devil. Do you know that? By your word, you can speak to him and say, get out of here. You have no business here. You have power over the devil through Jesus Christ. Amen? Hallelujah. So we have that kind of power. But you have to understand something about the devil. He is incredibly and increasingly aggressive in the days that we are living in his tactic to draw people away from the truth. Do you know why? Why is he so aggressive right now? Because time is short. He is already lost. When Jesus died on the cross and rose again from the grave, he lost. Sin was conquered and paid for. Death conquered and paid for. I mean, no longer was that his power when he held over us. So he lost. Now, how many of you have ever been to a pool party, but you didn't know it was a pool party? And so you show up fully dressed to the T, right? Yeah. I've been a youth pastor long enough to know that if I show up to a pool party, odds are I'm going in the pool. And I remember going to a pool party fully dressed because I didn't want to go in the water. That's my intention. Now, as you're at this party, what do you hear? You hear whispering in the pool. <laughs> Suddenly all the fun has stopped and there's this in the pool. And what that means is you are now going in the pool. And so usually I will take my phone in my pocket, my wallet in my pocket. Just this is going to go down. I'm going in. But the mentality then is if I'm going in the pool, everyone is going in the pool with me. Meaning I'm grabbing baby carriages. I'm grabbing old ladies. If I'm going down, I'm grabbing chain link fences and ripping them out of the, you know, everything I can get my hands on is going down. If I'm going down, everyone is going with me. Okay. That's my mentality. The same mentality that the devil has not the same. I have the same thing here. I am not the devil, but here's the thing. He has that same mentality. He has lost but that does not stop him from taking as many people down with him as he can. That's his goal. That's his mission. He desires to rob from you. But the way that he does it is through deception. He promises great things through the appetites and the temptation of the world. 
He promises these things. This will satisfy. This is amazing. This is what you want. This is what you need. This will bring ultimate life to your soul. He lies and he lies and he lies with the intention of robbing and destroying and killing everything beautiful in your life. He doesn't care that you're a girl. He doesn't care that you're a little girl, not that you or any of you are little girls. He doesn't care how, what your age, he doesn't care your gender, he doesn't care how long you've been walking with the Lord. He does not care. He has one goal and one mission, and that is to tear you down. And now Jesus contrasts that with what he offers as the good shepherd. The thief does not come except to steal and to kill and to destroy. I have come that they may have life and that they may have it more abundantly. He says, this is what the devil promises and what the thief, his intention is. But this is what I have come to do is to give you life. And that word in the Greek is the word zoe. It's the, it's the same word in the Septuagint as, as when God breathed life into man. As man became a living being, it's this animation that comes to our life. He says, in that way, he came to give us life. And that, more abundantly, the word is super added, is the word. So I don't even know if that's a word. It's super added life, abundant life, overflowing life, he says. And what I truly believe it means is that Jesus offers true life that nothing else can offer. This is true life. And everything else the devil adds and, and gives and offers is a fake. It is a phony. It is a cheap substitute. It is a mock-up of what God offers. How many of you ever had a cheap substitute? It's not the real thing. And you know it's not the real thing. Right? It's awful. You feel duped and like totally, this is wrong. I will have justice. I have been ripped off. Has that ever happened to you? You're like, I don't I can't think of an example, but if that's ever happened to you, if you ever bought a used car with this dream of like, these people took care of it. And I know because they said so in a description, they changed the oil every 2000, 3000. They did, oh my goodness, they took such good care of this car and shortly after, everything just falls apart. Is there anything more aggravating than that situation where you're like, I have been duped? No, that's what the devil does. Jesus offers life in that more abundantly and the devil says, no, 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 no. This is life. This is what real life looks like. This is restriction. These are change. This is bondage. This is rules and regulation. Here's true freedom. Do whatever you want. Do you realize that doing whatever you want and what your flesh desires is actually bondage to the flesh? You're a slave to it. You're a corporate stooge, as we say sometimes. You've been marketed to by the devil. And you've bought in. And so Jesus says to us, I have come to give you life, that more abundantly. He's come to give us true life, found in Jesus. Over and above, he means, super added to our life. This is not prosperity gospel. 
Let me help you to understand. This is not Jesus saying, you are going to be rich because you know me. That is super added life. That's a, that's a twist of the devil. That real life is just having enough money. Then you're happy. I mean, that's, yeah, that's, that's the reality of it. If you do this, if you do that, then this is what's going to happen. It's not saying it will prolong your life either. Like abundant life is super long life. It's not talking about a prosperous life. It's talking about a content and satisfied life. Which is what we're all seeking. Is to be satisfied and content. That's why in Psalm 23, it says, The Lord is my shepherd. Therefore, I will lack nothing because he supplies and satisfies my deepest longing of my soul. That he leads me and he guides me. He, he shelters me and frees me from anxiety and fear because he is my shepherd. Now, if he's not your shepherd, you cannot say that you lack nothing. Because what you find is that you lack everything. And it's this constant aim to get what you lack. And Jesus offers us life and that more abundantly. Super added. Access to the Father. Ephesians 2.18 says that we have access to the Father through the Spirit. This is the satisfaction and contentment that we find. It's a life lived in communion with the living and true God. That is satisfaction. That is true joy. That's true life. He says, I am the good shepherd. And the good shepherd gives his life for the sheep. Now, he gives this analogy of him being a shepherd. If you look at Psalm 23, it's an amazing picture of what Christ does for us as our shepherd and what Jesus has, has longed to do as our shepherd. But here, when he says that I am the good shepherd, what makes him good? What makes him a good shepherd? We, we have to ask that question of that statement. He says, I am the good shepherd. Well, what makes you a good shepherd? Look at what he says next. The good shepherd gives his life for the sheep. How do you know that God is good? The Bible always points us back to the crucifixion of Jesus Christ upon the cross. Where he offered his body to be bludgeoned for us. To, he offered his back to be torn apart by the, by the cat of nine tails. That he was scourged 39 times with a whip that had bone and glass and rock intertwined in it. It was designed to inflict the maximum amount of pain and still keep you alive. It was designed to get you to confess a crime. And Jesus had no crime to, to confess to 39 times he was whipped. He then had to carry his cross with weight upwards of 100 to 115 pounds to 75 pounds, carrying that cross beam all the way out down, down this road, out to where he would be nailed to that beam with nine inch nails through his wrists and through his feet. A, a crown of thorns would be pressed into his head. These, these thorns are called Jerusalem thorns. They are massive thorns. The soldiers intertwined these and pressed them into his head and mocked him. He then hung there upon the cross for, I think, six hours, slowly dying of suffocation as his lungs would fill with water. 
This right here is what the Bible points us to, to the goodness of God, because Jesus did that for you and for me. That was our punishment for our sin. There was a moment on the cross where everything went dark at high noon. Everything went black. At the high, the sun at the highest point of the day, everything went dark. And Jesus said, my God, what does he say? My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? In something that I will never fully understand until I see God in glory, there is a separation of communion between a God who is a three-part God. There is a separation of communion and relationship for a moment as the wrath of God was poured out upon Jesus and our sins were poured out upon Jesus and he bore them there upon the cross. Blackness, darkness, Hell on earth, Jesus experienced for us so that we would never have to experience hell. Okay, this is the picture. Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. And you think, well, how is God good? He says, I've taken your sin and your punishment and I offer you everlasting life in exchange. Simply by faith. That is a good God. That is a good God. Someone, a God who loved us enough. Rarely would a shepherd, he would risk his life for his flock, but rarely would a a man die for these animals. Jesus says, I'm a good shepherd because I will lay down my life for my sheep. No one took it from him. No one stole it from him. He offered it freely for us. This is what makes him good. Turn with me to Psalm 107. Real quick, Psalm 107. We're not really sure who wrote this psalm. Doesn't say, perhaps David, perhaps someone else. It's probably the case, someone, you know, either David or someone else. But it says, oh, give thanks to the Lord for he is good. For his mercy endures forever. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so, whom he has redeemed from the hand of the enemy and gathered out of the lands from the east, from the west, from the north, and from the south. This psalm is an exhortation to those who have been redeemed of God, meaning have been bought back from the the slave market of sin, been purchased by the blood of Jesus. And again, this is pre-cross. This is pre-salvation by faith. This writer is saying, give thanks to the Lord. Why? Because God is good. He is good because he is a God who delivers. He delivers in, in throughout these ways. And the rest of the psalm tells you why God is good. Because he delivers us as we cry out to him. He then comes in and delivers us from darkness, from prison, from the depths of the sea, from wandering in the wilderness. All this is a picture of salvation and what God has done for us as sinners. And so the response from this psalm writer is, he says, listen, the response to salvation, redeemed people, is praise and worship and adoration. 
He says that verse in the New Living Translation, it says, let the redeemed of the Lord say so. He says, have you been redeemed? Then speak out. Have you been redeemed of God? Then say something about it, is what he's saying. If this is your reality, that you have been redeemed from sin, brought into the family of God, then your reasonable service to that is praise for God's goodness. Someone wrote this psalm before the cross was even a glimpse in, in their mind. Now we, on this side of the cross, look back and some days we feel like, man, God's not good. Listen, God is good. And the Bible says, look to the cross to be reminded of the goodness of God and that praise and adoration come from our hearts as a result. No matter what is going on in my life, no matter what trial you are facing, you are the saved of God and nothing and no one, not even the devil himself can take that from you. God is good, amen? And so the psalmist says, let us praise God. This is the goodness of our shepherd. How do we know God is good? How do we know that he's the good shepherd? He laid down his life for us. Verse 12, he draws a, a contrast back to the hireling. He says, a hireling, he who is not the shepherd, one who does not own the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees. And the wolf catches the sheep and scatters them. The hireling flees because he is a hireling and he does not care about the sheep. I am the good shepherd and I know my sheep and I am known by my own. Jesus says there's someone else who is a hireling, a hired hand. And when a wolf will come, that person will take off running. Why? Because they have no stock in the sheep. They don't own them. They're not, they weren't purchased by them. Jesus says he'll never leave. Why? Because you are the blood-bought bride of Christ. He paid for you, not with some silver and gold. He bought you with his own blood. Therefore, he's saying, understand, church, understand, congregation, that we are the loved of God, that God is good, that he shed his own blood. He purchased us by his own blood. This is why I can call him a good shepherd. And this is why Jesus calls to us and says, follow me, because as you follow me, a life that is abundant life is available to you. And he goes out ahead of you and he says, come, follow me this way. This is abundant life. Don't believe the devil. Don't believe the devil when he lies to you and says, that is just some cheap way of God controlling you. Don't believe that. That's not actually true life. This is true life. Don't believe it. Go back to the, what the scriptures say, that he offers us life and in his word is life. And the shepherd gives us life as we follow him. But he contrasts it with his hireling who doesn't own the sheep. He has no stock in the sheep. Therefore, when a wolf comes, he takes off and leaves them to their own. Jesus says, that's not what I do. But I own them, I know them by name. I am personally invested in each and every one of them. Isn't that insane? He has personally invested in each of us. How? 
he dwells in each of us. We are the dwelling place of the Holy Spirit. He is personally involved and cares about every facet of your life. You think, why? How? Because you're his sheep. And that's what a good shepherd does. It's it's one of those things that just blows our mind to the care. Listen, Jesus doesn't give this analogy just because he's like, you know what's fun? I love to tell stories. Let me tell you this story. I'm I'm the shepherd, you're sheep. (laughs) And he's trying to make us all feel like, oh, yeah. He's doing this for a reason, right? The Holy Spirit doesn't waste words in the Bible. And he's like, this will be fun. This is a sweet little anecdote for the church. Sheep and shepherds, this will be so fun for them. He's communicating to us who he is and who God is. When we look at Jesus, we see the heart of the Father. And so when we look at this, what does this tell us about God? That he cares about you. Come on. He cares about you. Why? Why would God ever care about me? I don't know. But it says that he does. And he values you more precious than anything else in this world. Do you know that this earth will burn away? All the work that God did to create this world will burn up and disintegrate and cease to exist. What will continue to exist are human beings. The thing he died to save. That is how much God loves you. And that's how much God cares for you. And is always an indication of how good God is. God is good, isn't he? He is merciful to us. And thank God that he is merciful, right? The psalmist then later says, for his mercy endures forever, right? It doesn't mean that, that God, you know, formed you, made you, and then his mercy started. It's that God has been merciful because God exists. Mercy exists. It's not that God suddenly was like, you know what? In my sovereignty, I'm going to start being merciful. Yep. Starting New Testament. Here comes the mercy. No, (laughs) this is, this is the character of God. That by his very character and by his very nature, he is a deliverer, he is a rescuer, he is a savior by his nature. Because God loves people. He loves people. And if you are a people tonight, which hopefully you are, you're not like, I identify as an animal. You, <laughs> I, uh, things are getting strange. Um, you are a person no matter how you slice it, therefore God loves you and he cares for you. There is nothing that you have done that the good shepherd can't call you into his flock and say, you are my own. If you will repent of your sin and turn from your sin and confess Christ as Lord and Savior, you can become one of the flock. Look what he says later on. He says, I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep. I know my own. As the father knows me, even so I know the father. I laid my life down for the sheep. He says it twice, which means it's pretty important, right? That was verse 14, 15, and 16. And other sheep I have, which are not of this fold, them also I must bring, and they will hear my voice, and they will be one flock and one shepherd. That's why I believe that this picture of the sheepfold is Judaism. It's old covenant, and Jesus is calling us out of old covenant. And he's saying, there's a flock that is coming that you don't know of, right? 
Who is this other flock? This is the exciting part tonight. Do you know who the other flock is? It's you and me. The Gentiles. The dogs of the world. Now dogs are a lot more, it's, it's a lot more culturally acceptable here where people carry them in purses and strollers and, um, you know, bequeath things to them as they die. Like my dog gets my house or whatever. The dog in the Old Testament and in the Bible was not the dog of today. It's precious and cared for. These dogs did not have names. They were called dogs because they're the mangy, nasty mutts. This is what the Jews called the Gentiles dogs. And Jesus says, those dogs are my sheep. And the gospel is not just for the Jews. Salvation is not just for the Jews. Salvation is for any that would call upon the name of Jesus and respond to the call of Christ to be his own. This is the other flock. We sit here today, other side of the cross. We worship tonight. If you're not Jewish, guess what? You're a Gentile. Welcome to the club. I don't think, I'm, I, don't think I have any in me. And so, hey, you know, East German team gets to go to heaven. I'm excited, right? Not Jewish. We've been brought in. Salvation has been extended. The blood of Christ is so powerful, it can save even the furthest person from him to all and to any. It's not based on skin color. It's not based on gender. It's not based on anything other than the grace of God. Salvation is for any who would come and confess Christ as Lord and Savior. That is the power of the gospel. And so what that means for us, church, we need to tell people about this good shepherd that we follow and serve. This is too good of news for us to be like, yeah, whatever, God's good, yeah, sick. And have that kind of like flippant attitude about it. People need to know that there is life available in Jesus Christ. Therefore, my father loves me because I lay down my life that I may take it again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of myself. I have power to lay it down and I have power to take it again. And this command I have received from my father. Therefore, there was a division again among the Jews because of these sayings. And many of them said, he has a demon and is mad. Why do you listen to him? And others said, these are not the words of one who has a demon. Can a demon open the eyes of the blind? So again, there's a division among the group. They're going, this guy's nuts. He's saying he has the power to give his life. And then he has the power to take it up again. Only one person has the power to do that. And that's God. We're out of here. This guy's crazy. And they're like, why do you even listen to him? And they say, this, this guy speaks in a way that no one else speaks with authority. And not only that, but the things he does, no one else has been able to do. When Jesus opens the eyes of this blind man who had been blind since birth, this has never happened in the history of the world. It's never happened. There's no like precedent where they can go like world Guinness records. Oh yeah, I remember that one. That was sick when Shephaniah opened up Jedediah's eye. It doesn't exist. It never happened. And so what's crazy is the Old Testament spoke that the Messiah would be able to do this kind of stuff. 
And so when John writes his book, in the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, he writes it specifically so that we would have to come to a place of decision. Either Jesus is a lunatic or he is Lord over all things. Either he is who he says that he is, or he's just some crazy Jewish guy who lived 2,000 years ago and had a weird thing about pain and was willing to endure it and die a gruesome death for no reason. Verse 22. Now it was the feast of dedication in Jerusalem. Now six months have passed from verse 21 to 22. Okay? John's gospel is funny in that way is it doesn't really follow like a day or week or month thing. The last half of the gospel of John is the last 24 hours of the life of Jesus. So there's like this last half that we're going to enter into at some point in your adult life and in my adult life. When we get there, it's 24 hours that's passing by. It's crazy. Six months passed between 21 and 22. Now it was the Feast of Dedication in Jerusalem. It was winter, and Jesus walked in the temple in Solomon's porch, and the Jews surrounded him, and they said to him, How long do you keep us in doubt? If you are the Christ, then tell us plainly. At this point, if I was Jesus, I would just light these fools on fire, right? Just like, whoosh, and like, this is so obnoxious. I have, how much clearer could Jesus be? How much, what they want him to do is stand up on a high place and be like, I'm the Messiah. That's who I am. I came, whatever. He's, show us some sign or say what you're going to say. They're saying, how are you going to long you going to keep us in this place? If Jesus were to do that, do you know that no faith would exist? Faith has to come upon something that we don't necessarily, are, we're not certain on. If you are certain, can there really be faith if you are certain? So all of you that struggle with doubt, listen. Faith gives room for doubt sometimes. Do you know when, when Thomas doubted, Jesus didn't say, I cannot believe this. Ugh, I am so irritated. Have fun burning. No, he didn't say that. <laughs> did he? What did Jesus do to the man who doubted whether or not Jesus was really alive, he showed up, materialized in the room, and says, Thomas, these are my nail marks. Touch them, feel them. I'm real, I'm alive. Jesus came to him in his grace and mercy and revealed himself and said, have faith. There's sometimes where we want to be so certain. And listen, I've been walking with the Lord for some time. And there are times where I go through these doubtful seasons of like, what am I doing with my life? If this isn't real, sorry, saw my hair. If, if Jesus is not real, then what am I doing with my life? Anyone else ever have that kind of epiphany in your life where you're like, you yeah, know, just going about my day, making a taco or, or whatever you make for lunch. And you're like, is Jesus, is God real? Is God really merciful? And all of a sudden these thoughts really flood into your mind of like, are we sure that we're saved by faith? Or is there some other formula that we got to do here? We want to be so certain. And Jesus says it doesn't work that way. Come by faith and watch as you walk out by faith, certainty will come. Faith gets stronger like a muscle. People spill things and that's okay. There's grace tonight for you, Katie, for spilling all over the place. 
moving right along. You know what? No, we're going to stop there. Because oh, I don't have any more air in my lungs. This is, this is great stuff. Do you realize why it's taking me so long to go through the Gospel of John? Like, this is not stuff that you can just like, yeah, Mephibosheth and the Mephibosheth. You can't, this is really hard stuff. And this is so great. The grace, the mercy, the wonder that is God. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you tonight for your abundant mercy. Lord, for your abundant life that you offer to us. Lord, it's not just those who are certain, but it's even those that come with doubts. Lord, we we're so thankful that you are long-suffering with us. But Lord, you call us to decision. Not to waffle back and forth, but Lord, to come to a place of either yes or no. And so Lord, I pray tonight if there's anyone here that is yet to make that decision, that you are Lord of their life or you are nothing at all. God, we pray that you would minister and speak to their hearts God, reveal yourself to us this evening as we worship, as we sing for your goodness to us, your mercy that you've given to us. Lord, as we just reflect upon your goodness, just simply offering salvation to us by grace. Lord, as we reflect on those things, may our hearts be filled with just a, a warmth of your love and filled with praise and adoration, Lord, that we can't help but sing. Lord, may we not be able to keep our hands in our pockets, but offer you praise and worship because that is what you are worthy of. We love you, Lord. We thank you that you are our good shepherd, that you lead us, that you guide us, that God, you are so in involved in every aspect of our life that you care about the deepest and most secret things that we have in our, our hearts, Lord. You know them, you care about them, you see them, and God, you want us to bring them to you and allow you to indwell every part of us. God, that we, we're so thankful that a life lived in you is a life that is filled with contentment and satisfaction. God, you are good. And as we sing and worship you tonight, God, I pray that you would begin to minister throughout the room by your spirit in ways that you know that this person and that person needs. And so God, would you minister in a way that no other person can, that all glory would be given to you tonight because we are met with the reality of you tonight. We love you, Jesus. We honor you, God. We worship you. So God, we pray, um, move in us, strengthen us, prepare us, Lord, to be used by you this week. And uh, we love you in Jesus' name, amen.